Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I am joined today by Neve Broderick, data science lead at Monzo, to talk about her transition to an individual contributor role. As Neve progressed in her career, managing a team felt like the obvious next step. So when the opportunity came, she accepted it and applied herself to be the best manager she could be. A few years later, though, she realized that her energy was coming not from managing people, but from working on technical challenges and from coding. So with the help of her manager, she decided to transition back into an IC role. In this episode, she walks us through her journey from accepting the fact that it was okay not to be a manager to actually becoming an IC. You will find tips on how to make this transition successful as well as what to look out for. Let's listen to Neve. Hey Neve, welcome to the Women in Data podcast. I'm so excited about the conversation we are going to have today. But before we get into that, can I invite you to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Karen. I'm really excited to be here today. A bit nervous, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, I'm Neve Broderick. Um, I'm a data science lead at Monzo, um, and I've been working here for two and a half years, and I work in the customer operations space. So if you need to get in touch with us to get something fixed, or if we need to do some work to verify something on your account, how all of that manual work gets done, how customers interact with the app to get it done, all of that kind of side of things. So loads of different areas there. Yeah. And uh, having joined this team, how long has it been now? Six months ago? There is definitely a lot of interesting things happening there. And it's just such a complex, but very interesting environment to work for data. Yeah, I think so. And I think there are still areas of it that I haven't touched much in my two and a half years. So still learning about like the app side of things is a little bit less familiar to me. So loads of loads of space to, to learn and grow, which is great. <laughs> I guess you're never going to get bored there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but what we're talking about today is really you you had an interesting transitions a few transition a few years ago and you were a manager and then moved back to being an IC and this is IC as in individual contributor for the listeners who don't know what that is. So that means being a data scientist. And I just wanted to have a chat about that on the podcast because I feel like there is so much pressure in what our career should look like, you know. So we talk more and more about the fact that careers can be squiggly now, that they don't have to be ladder-like. But in data, there is always this image of what the progression looks like. So you start by, some people think it's data analyst to data scientist, but these are completely two different career paths. So this is not what we're touching on today. Mm -hmm. What we're touching on is this image of one, you are, you are data scientist, the next step to progress in your career is to be a people's manager. And you decided that this is not what you wanted to do. So can you tell us a bit about this? 
Sure. Um, so I guess I'll give like a little potted history of my career to start with. So I started out, I did chemistry at university and I, I really love science. I've been a massive science nerd since I was a, like a little kid and I really wanted to work in a lab. And then I actually did work in a lab and found out that it wasn't for me. So my first job after graduation then was actually in data. So it was at BP um, kind of using chemistry to figure out what kind of um, oil was going to get processed through refineries and how that would impact the trading analytics that was being done. So it was a really interesting role and it kind of get, let me smoothly move from chemistry into data. Um, and I stayed in data ever since and, and I really enjoy it. I was working at a, a startup and had done a couple of different IC um, projects there and was really enjoying it. And I got the opportunity to try management. So they came and they said, do you want to start this team? Um, and it would be in operations as well. So it's kind of also how I got into operations. And I guess at the time, I'd never tried managing people. Um, I was really flattered to be offered the opportunity. I thought this is a great step. And it was kind of an obvious way to increase my impact and the amount of influence that I had in the organization. But also at the time, I just thought, like, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to like this or not, but it's probably a good thing to try, especially if I do want to get progression in my career. It really seemed like the way to do that. And I think at that company, they were really short on managers. And so it was actually the best way to get to get further into the path. Um, so started a, a new team there um, and kind of learned on a bit of a crash course how to be a manager um, without any formal training and had all of the I think like a really wide range of experiences. I had people in my team who were amazing. I had people who were really struggling with performance and kind of had to do all the different stuff that you have to do as a manager but in a very condensed space of time. So within about a year, I think had a lot of experiences that really taught me like the kind of breadth of, of management. Um, yeah. And as a first time manager, this is a really big challenge to take on, right? I feel like it, it, well, it's not exactly that sort of story for everyone, but a lot of people get promoted because they are good at what they're doing um, as a data scientist or a data analyst. But then there is no support later to help them move towards management, uh, apart from maybe in the bigger organizations. But most of the times, most of the ones I, I came across, there was not that much support into that transition, which doesn't make it very easy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think... Th going from being an individual contributor where you're in control of all the pieces of work that you've done and then suddenly having other people submitting work almost on your behalf and trying to strike the balance between checking everything they do because you want to be sure it's definitely right but then you're micromanaging them and then like not checking anything but then you don't check at all and so I definitely like swung back and forth between the two a few times and like if something went wrong then everyone on the team would suddenly have me like in their business and if something was going fine then I would just disappear um and so I think like trying to figure out how to do that and trying to learn from other managers when you can't like go and just sit in their team all day and see what they're doing. Um, it's quite a difficult thing to do, but it was a really, like, like I said, it was a really steep learning curve. And actually I got loads of experience in that role of like, yeah, all the best bits of management and all the bits that are really, really challenging. Well, for me anyway, the bits that I, I find really difficult. And did you feel confident going into that? Did you feel like you, you did mention that you were not sure if that's something you wanted to, to do, but you wanted to try it to actually figure it out. I mean, this is how you learn, right? <laughs> if it's something that you like, but how did you feel going into management? I think I felt like a lot of, um, pressure to perform really well in that role. I wanted to show that I could do it. Um, I've like, this is one of those things that is maybe revealing a lot about myself, but I grew up 
kind of thinking I was quite bad with people and actually being told by other people that I was bad with people as well. And so part of me wanted to say like, Hey, I can definitely do this. I'm going to learn how to be the best manager ever and like completely prove everybody wrong. Um, and so I put a lot of pressure on myself to be like a really good manager from day one, which I think was um, really like quite a lot to put on myself. So I was going into it kind of afraid that I was going to mess up instantly, which was tough. Yeah, especially if you, you go in there, try to be the best manager ever without any support and anyone showing you how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, what you were mentioning about growing up thinking you are not good at, with people. It's, mm -hmm. it's just all these limiting beliefs that we have growing up and we carry with us into adulthood. It's, oh, it's horrible. Yeah. But you've done it. You proved that you could do it. Yes. Um, and, and then you thought maybe not what I like doing. Yeah. So, so later on, I, I moved to Monzo and I was managing people the whole, the, until nine months ago, until like last July, I was still managing people. And I found that, you know, I was, I was able to do the management role. I was getting good feedback. Um, I was putting an enormous amount of pressure on myself to make sure I did get good feedback and that I got, good outcomes for my team and for Monzo and um, worked really hard on that. But I was then kind of on the side doing loads of IC stuff. And that was the stuff that really gave me energy. And sometimes I would say, I can't come and talk to my team. I just really want to go and write some code. Um, and so it was pretty clear to me that I was doing the management stuff, but the stuff that I really enjoyed was the IC side. And I actually remember at one point we kind of discussed uh, moving to... Uh, so all managers at Monzo at the time, all data science managers were hybrid. So they were doing a bit of IC and a bit of management. And we discussed whether we should be splitting it into just management and IC. And I was really against it because I was like, oh, well, I, I love the IC stuff. So I don't want you to take that away from me. Yeah. Um, and not kind of, it never occurred to me actually in my head that I could stop managing at that point. I think I was like, if I stop managing, I'm be admitting that I'm I'm failing at this or that I'll be admitting that I don't like people or something. And so there, I had some quite like deep seated block in my head about, I have to do this. This is my job. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a director. I'm going to manage a big team, but somehow also do IC work and, and write code on the side. And I think it was only kind of later on in that journey at Monzo when the team was a bit bigger there were more people around and it was actually feasible for me to start thinking hang on I don't actually have to manage all of these people I could probably take the take the IC route but it took quite a while to get there because like I said I really wanted to kind of prove to myself that I could do it. Yeah so when you were having all these internal conversations uh, did you feel like if you were moving back to an IC role that would be a step back? Yeah, I think I definitely did at the time. I think not because of anything anyone in the organization was saying to me. I actually think that um, Monzo is quite unique in that I worked with a lot of people who I was managing who would say, oh, I don't really want to be a manager and I don't have any interest in it. And they actually felt very comfortable saying that because they could see a clear path to still progressing without it. Um, and so everyone around me, I think, was kind of like, yeah, it's it's fine to be IC. You don't need to do management. We'd had um, very, very senior individual contributors in the company like we'd had somebody almost in the c-suite who was an individual contributor um in the design team and we had plenty of individual contributors at quite a high level in engineering um so i think it was mostly my own like not wanting to not wanting to give up this thing that i had learned and that i had like put a lot of effort into and, and really worked on and i think i also didn't realize that you don't 
give up all of that either. Like you still talk to people, you still are a mentor and a lead in the team. If you're a senior individual contributor, you're just not necessarily doing all of the stuff, like all of the management stuff. So you give up some of it, but you definitely keep some of it on. Yeah. Like performance reviews. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I was just thinking like, you don't have to do performance reviews and you don't necessarily have those like really tough conversations where, yeah, like someone's performance isn't great and you're having to, to move that along. Yeah. Yeah. I it, it's funny because I although I guess we all have this challenge, right? Finding the balance between management and IC work. So how much technical work you want to do and while for you 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 definitely get your energy from doing the analysis. I get my energy from from the other side. So it's always hard to find a good balance between the two because both parts are important in the management side so yeah I, I would love to meet someone who has actually managed to figure that, <laughs> that yeah. Yeah, but if there that. is someone listening to the podcast who has please contact me <laughs> I would like to know <laughs> but I think as well as that um before I met uh you and Nibella who's the other manager on our team I hadn't actually I kind of thought everybody does the managing but they really love the IC and so I thought this is just normal this is like everybody kind of wishes they were just doing IC but they're just doing management because that's what like I just had like a totally strange view of of how that worked out and I think having met the two of you who get your energy from that side of things I now I'm like oh yeah this was definitely the right like career path for me and the right choice for me because I can just see how differently we perceive events and how differently like those events affect our energy levels and stuff so it's that's been really interesting yeah, working with uh, loads of diverse people is, is quite important from that perspective, right? Yeah, it makes a massive difference, actually, because I think, again, gives people the opportunity to actually understand what someone else's role is like and why they like it. And then you can kind of, it gives you more perspective than just trying to sit there and figure it out for yourself. Mm, definitely. So you, you've you made that transition now and you mentioned you've been here for nine, nine months. Mm-hmm. How did you make it successful? Because you had all this internal <laughs> turmoil thinking about, oh my God, this is happening. But then you also had people that you could see that had, that were successful as an individual contributor and were quite senior as well. But for you, um, changing your career path really, how, how did that work? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say it's a work in progress. Uh, I'm still still figuring it out. And I only um, I was still de facto managing people until quite recently, like a couple of it takes a while to, to transition over. So um haven't fully worked it out. Um, I had a lot of support in defining what this individual contributor role looks like from um, my boss, Lee, and uh, the VP of data. And we sat down and we worked out together, like, what does that look like? And I think they were very clear as well about your like your role as an individual contributor is to accelerate other people's projects. And so, you know, you aren't necessarily making that transition back to, I'm going to be an IC and I'm just going to put my headphones on and write code for 24 hours a day and not talk to anyone. Um, You know, you're still going to be in meetings. You're still going to be contributing behind the scenes to projects and you need to find a way to do that in the most efficient way possible. And that, that, and also to have confidence that that's still going to be recognized. I think I was quite worried at the beginning. What if I don't, produce like five amazing analyses every week like does that mean I'm not not contributing but actually a lot of the stuff that I was doing in the team and especially because the team had grown and had a lot of new people 
I was still doing a lot of like knowledge sharing and trying to shape projects and trying to like do code review as well, rather than just kind of, yeah, this idea that you might have of like an ivory tower, I see who just goes off and kind of does stuff by themselves. So I think understanding that that was still part of my role and that I should balance doing that stuff where I'm influencing other people and where I'm helping them with their projects and writing my own stuff, I think was good. And I also rearranged my calendar pretty severely and made sure I had two full days of kind of focus time. And I was quite serious about not letting people in there because personally, I find it hard to do the kind of deep individual contributor work in anything shorter than kind of a four hour block. So I really need to have that time blocked out and make sure that I'm not getting pulled into to lots of meetings. Yeah, I mean, m- meetings are... <laughs> We could have a whole episode about meetings, uh, but I I hear what you say. I mean, even without needing to code, just sometimes you need time to think. I was, I had an episode earlier this year with Wendy Lynch, who was talking about the role of a data translator, which is where I see myself sitting a bit more than an individual contributor, where she was talking about, so she made me do this exercise where she asked me a question that I had never thought of before. and. As we were talking, I was getting the answers to the questions and she was just asking me the question, letting me think a bit. And then uh, the questions were getting a bit better as I was thinking about the thing. And she was saying, and this is why when we jump from meeting to meetings, nothing happens (laughs) (laughs) because you don't have time to think about things. So yeah, I, I can relate to that. So, I mean, you said work in progress, you're still working on it. I feel like we're all always trying to figure it out because also things move so fast and no matter where you are if you just even if you have a tiny shift in your role or change company or does it do a drastic change it's just going to be always the same we're trying to (laughs) to get used to something else um but were there anything that you felt like well, if someone is to do this transition now, mm-hmm. is there anything that you would say, oh, watch out for that, this was a problem when I, I did my transition? Yeah, so I think, um, again, I said I was really, really lucky with the support that I got to make the transition, but sometimes that can take a lot longer. And I know other people who've made this transition that where it takes a lot longer, finding other managers for your direct reports and being able to actually make that move. And sometimes that turns into a conversation where you're like, oh, I'm going to go to IC, but actually in practice, like the movement to help you get your direct reports moved on to other people and get you into that space don't happen. And so I think we had a timeline basically of like within this amount of time, I want to be able to see that I'm able to work on this stuff. And we really like checked in and made sure that I was able to get time and that I wasn't being I think especially staying in the same area in an IC role and like I didn't move company and I didn't move place trying to make sure that I didn't just de facto do what I had been doing before, but without the title. Um, so I had a couple of people ask me questions and say, can you help me with this this person on this project? Like as they would have done when I was that person's manager and just being really clear that that isn't my job anymore and almost saying like, may, I made a list of things that I don't do anymore. And that was really useful to just say, like, these are the things that I'm I'm not going to do. And that was that was really important and being able to stick to that. And I think we also had a situation where I think another manager left and I I'm like a and I'm part of the reason why I've been a manager is I I want to help people 
And so I immediately kind of wanted to say, oh, I'll, I'll take over all their direct reports, even though I knew that would be a bad move for me and a bad move for my mental health and my career satisfaction. Kind of like there's a temptation to say like, oh, I can do it. So yeah. I can do it again, just temporarily. It's never temporary. Um, so I think one of the things that I've learned is like not to, to try and resist the urge to kind of offer to manage people when I know that my impact can be better when I'm not doing that. That's, uh, that's a really good advice, actually. Uh, yeah, that that's a really good one. I like it. And I guess on the on the management side, well, I mean, for people who are helping others in that transition, it is what you said. So putting all these timelines together so that um, you know when it's going to happen, and then you can follow all the all the milestones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how do you bring this conversation? So how can one bring this conversation to their manager? Yeah, so I think because I was very much in denial about wanting to be an IC, um, my manager actually brought the conversation to me. Lee was new to the company and she said, I don't really understand why you're managing loads of people when I can see that what you really enjoy is this stuff. She talked to me for about half an hour and then instantly kind of knew it better than I did, um, which was great. So I think in terms of that conversation in general, like the advice would be, you should be having development conversations with your manager. I had had a development conversation with my previous manager where we had actually kind of identified that all the stuff that gave me energy was the IC stuff. And I think that exercise of sitting with your manager and saying, like, when do I really enjoy my day at work? And like, what am I proud of? And what are the things that make me not want to get out of bed in the morning or that I kind of go, oh, I don't even want to or like, yeah, I'm going to have to turn my camera off and like not enjoy anything. <laughs> and, and, you know, like where are those different pieces? And that was really important for me early on to start identifying it. Um, I think it's important to be transparent as well about what the risks are for you as well. So I think I was quite aware by this point that if I continued to manage a large team, um, so like five plus people, I would start to burn out. And that would be a really dangerous thing for me. And it would mean that I wasn't able to contribute anymore and kind of being clear that this is something that's actually yeah it's it's kind of urgent and it's something that I really need to do um I think that was really useful as well yeah this is kind of like inverting the problem right if I stay in the management role what's going to happen uh yeah that's a good one and to close the podcast out um I would like to know what you're learning at the moment or are interested in learning. So there's been quite a few changes and I'm guessing that you're learning loads just like I am. Um, what it is that you're learning right now? Um, so I, I'm still ambitious. This is like always me, the, the curse of my existence. Um, so I am really keen on figuring out how to be even more impactful as a, an IC and how to like, go to the next step in that role and I think it's a little bit less obvious usually um I think management you know you get bigger teams and you manage managers and then the IC role is a little bit less well defined but actually in engineering there's a really strong established tradition of like staff and principal engineers um so I'm currently reading the staff engineer uh by Will Larson and they he has a website as well which is really great um and generally just kind of trying to absorb as much of the stuff that's out there on the internet about that staff role and also working really closely with um, two staff engineers here at Monzo and trying to figure out like what makes them great at their role and how they approach things differently. Yeah. I love the fact that you can learn actually from seeing other people in, in action. That's definitely for me, definitely the best way to learn. 
Yeah, and I love it. You can actually kind of go to the meeting and it is an actual case study in exactly what's happening or something. Yeah, you can see exactly how they approach a problem you're really familiar with and are involved in. And I think that's that's um, the best kind of learning. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Niamh, for joining me on the podcast. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks, Karen. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.